If you own a residence, you want to control it. You want to control who lives in it, don't you? It's your property. Well, we need to talk about fair housing right now on The Law Works. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Closed captioning for The Law Works is made possible by a grant from the Monongalia County Bar Association to support legal information and education for all West Virginians. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. origin, religion, gender, family status, and disability. We're all interested in those things, and we often take them into consideration when making decisions. But there are limits. My guests are Claire Chandler, the program manager for West Virginia's only Fair Housing Initiatives program, and Jan Derry, the executive director of the Northern West Virginia Center for Independent Living. Claire, Jan, welcome. Thank you Thank for you. having me. Jan, uh, what is it that you do? Why does your office exist? Uh, centers for Independent Living, we are one of four Centers for Independent Living in West Virginia, one of 700 Centers for Independent Living nationwide that work to ensure that people with disabilities have equal opportunity to be contributing members of their local community. What got me involved in working with fair housing is that to live in the community, you have to be able to have a home. And finding accessible, affordable housing throughout West Virginia is extremely difficult. Why so? Mostly, prob mostly probably because individuals, builders, do not take into consideration the specific needs of individuals with disabilities, the design and construction components of building code that are not necessarily followed. An example, I had an employee that I hired who had a wife who uses a wheelchair, and he himself used a wheelchair. When he moved to Morgantown, he had to visit 95 apartment complexes before he could find one that could accommodate both he and his wife. 95? 95 units. I thought everything was supposed to be built to be wheelchair accessible. It is supposed to be built to be wheelchair accessible. However, that doesn't seem to be the trend for the market in the past. Things are improving, but there needs to be an awful lot to prevent continued construction without compliance with the code. Well, and building codes only apply where building codes apply. And in mm -hmm. some towns, you mentioned Morgantown, Morgantown mm -hmm. has one of them, they have city limits, and there's a lot of construction of apartment complexes, housing units outside the city limits, and they don't have to follow 
any particular building code. In fact, they don't have to follow any building code at all. Is there a federal or a state requirement that says if you build it in West Virginia or in the United States, you have to meet certain requirements? Building code, in my impression, is building code is a federal law. And what's happening is that building code is not being enforced outside of city limits. You're supposed to build to co according to building code, but there's no enforcement. Claire, how did you get into this? Um, I work at the Center for Independent Living in the Fair Housing Program that um, Jan uh, went after the grants, their HUD grants, um, because of this problem of not finding affordable, accessible housing and people being denied housing for different reasons, for having disabilities. Um, so the Fair Housing Act um, is actually Title VIII of the Civil Rights Act of 1968. And, and that, the Civil Rights Act of 1968 was a, really a, a huge passage of law that dealt with voting rights, housing rights, service in restaurants, anything right. that you can think of. That was during the, the civil rights era and made a lot of changes in the world. Right, and that was passed uh, seven days after the assassination of Do Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so this was a huge um, change of course for the United States and, and housing actually, Dr. King said, was one of the most vicious fights that they had, you know, um, just people are so, because it's where you live, um, people are, have just much more resistance even than employment or public accommodations to accept people that, you know, they see as, you know, not, you know, I, I don't know. As different or a problem right. Right, in, different. in some sort. Well, we are a country where people like to say, this is mine, I'm going to do with it as I want to. But the Fair Housing Act kind of says, well, okay, but no. Right. Who's, who's covered by the Fair Housing Act, generally? Um, originally, in 1968, it covered uh, people, you couldn't be discriminated based on race, color, national origin, or religion. Um, in the 70s, they added um, sex or gender, um, and then they added, and familial status and disability were added in 1988. And West Virginia has added a couple of things in addition to right. that. Right. In 1992, West Virginia um, adopted its own Fair Housing Act and added ancestry and blindness as protected classes. I'm, I'm kind of curious about the word ancestry. I don't know what that means. It, does it mean if you're from France or if your grandparents were from France, you right. can't be discriminated against mm -hmm. because of that? Right. Well, a lot of people in West Virginia, uh, we don't have a large population of people who weren't born in the United States, but we do have lots of people who associate an ancestry, you know, being Italian, being Irish. Um, and, you know, there's communities like Clarksburg where there's, you know, a huge Italian population. Um, so you can't be discriminated against because of where your family is from. Okay. I, know I have seen deeds written for real estate that would say this property cannot be conveyed to anyone of Italian descent or anyone who's any racial minority. They would specifically right. spell those out and sometimes use words that I'm not going to repeat in this program. Uh, by the way, all of those prohibitions are illegal now. If you've got a deed that says I can't sell this property to an Irishman, you're free to ignore that. It's not going to have any legal effect. <laughs> Who enforces these laws? You said out in the county, away from where we have municipal right. building codes, nobody's enforcing those codes. Who enforces the Fair Housing Act? 
Well, the, the Human Rights Commission in each state is responsible for addressing complaints related to fair housing, and then it's the Department of Justice. The United States Department of Justice. The United States Department of Justice. Through the U.S. Attorney's Office, I guess, in each mm -hmm. district. We're in the Northern District of West Virginia right here. And working with the, the, it's the responsibility of the State Human Rights Commission to validate the complaint, and then it goes to HUD, and eventually it's DOJ that may come back at some point and litigate against the individual who violated. Well, if I feel like I have been discriminated against, I'm a member of a minority, I'm a white West Virginia American, and they tell me now that guys like me are becoming in the minority. Okay, so let's say that I am a recognizable minority, a per mm -hmm. member of a protected class. And I think I've been discriminated against because of my membership in that class. What can I do? What do I do? You can, well, you have lots of options. Uh, you can call our fair housing program. We're funded by HUD to assist people through the complaint process. Um, lots of people are intimidated by the process um, or intimidated by calling, you know, an agency. You know, we're a small nonprofit. There's only a few of us in the office. We can help people. Um, Let's give that phone number. Complaint. The number to call if you suspect you have a, a valid complaint is 1-844-212-3464. It's a toll-free number anywhere in West Virginia. Uh, you can call that number or you can go on the internet to wvfairhousing.org, wvfairhousing.org. Uh, and they can start the complaint process by contacting your office or logging onto your website. Right, they can contact us. Um, the complaints are filed with the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development as well as the local Human Rights Commission, um, which in West Virginia is just the state, West Virginia Human Rights Commission. Um, it's an administrative complaint process because these are civil complaints. Um, the Human Rights Commission or HUD will have an investigator that will um, speak to you as the complainant, they'll speak to any witnesses, they'll interview the respondent or the person that you've made the complaint about, and they will make a determination whether there's reasonable cause to believe the discrimination occurred. And if they believe, if they deem that there's reasonable cause of discrimination, um, then your complaint will be sent to the Office of the Attorney Generals um, to, to be reviewed by an administrative law judge. What kind of complaints do you hear most frequently? Well, being a disability organization, uh, the majority of complaints that we see are related to disabilities. Um, people being denied outright housing, you know, you, can, you know, I don't rent to people in wheelchairs, I don't, you know, I don't take your, you know, your type or whatever that is. Um, saying, um, well, if you have a disability, you can only live in this particular building, steering people to a building or um, a particular unit, um, denying accommodations for people with disabilities um, is a large one. Often people need um, grab bars and bathrooms. Um, that would be a reasonable modification. Service and support animals. Um, so these landlords would look at you and say, well, you're in a wheelchair or you're on crutches or you're blind. We, d we don't have anything that would work for you. Right. They have some obligation to try to make it work. Right. The landlord has the obligation to give you the same opportunity to rent from them as any other tenant, um, despite a disability or 
or any other of the protected classes. Um, if, for example, you know, with there not being a lot of accessible housing out there, um, if for say I needed a unit that was more accessible and you know there was a step on the front, you know, to get in the front door, um, I could ask for a reasonable modification to build a ramp um, to the front door so that I could get in, and that would be my expense. But the landlord would have to to allow me to make that modification. So the landlord can require that if you want a ramp, a ramp for example, you have right. to pay for that. Right. One of the biggest uh, things that we found where individuals are being discriminated against is the stigma associated with individuals with mental illness. And so if that diagnosis somehow becomes evident, either through behavior or say a, a caseworker is calling from a psychiatric facility trying to assist someone in finding housing, the stigma associated that media has created with about mental illness, those individuals are almost instantly denied access to equal opportunity because of fear and um, they're, they're convinced that that population would not be uh, cohabitable with other individuals and it's just so wrong. We're talking about fair housing. My guests are Claire Chandler, the program manager for West Virginia's only fair housing initiatives program, and Jan Derry, the executive director of the Northern West Virginia Center for Independent Living. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. You know, I can see both sides of that. Uh, I'm a lawyer. I run into a lot of people uh, in various venues with mental illnesses, and some of them are very, very, very difficult to work with or to get to cooperate with you or with the system. Mm -hmm. But yet the Fair Housing Act says, never mind, if that person's there and can rent your apartment, can afford to rent your apartment or your house, you have to consider them along with everyone else. Along with everyone else, yes. And you know, one of the first violations that's not related to mental illness is the rental office. If the rental office itself is not accessible, that sends a message very quickly that individuals with disabilities cannot rent at this facility. Well, I know there have been tests over the years, starting, well, many years ago, where people would go to visit businesses uh, to see if they could get in or if they could be accommodated, depending upon what their limitation was. Uh, I suppose race doesn't have much to do with it or gender. You can always get through the door. You may be treated differently once you get through the door. but. There were tests run to see if they could get into businesses, and when they couldn't, or when the business couldn't deal with them, they filed complaints. And a lot of businesses spent a lot of money becoming compliant as a result of things like that. I would think landlords live in fear of you, you people. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a fair statement? Do you get met with hostility by, by the, the landlords? Uh, some do. Some are very receptive and want to learn how to accommodate. Um, and, and really the cost of making a modification or a fully accessible unit is so minimal if you're doing it right from the beginning. Um, the, the landlords who just don't want to hear it, they're the ones who fear us the ones that want to build and want to learn, they're reaching out to us, which is why education is such a major component of this grant, of this program that we're doing, is educating the, the local builder, 
the, the small builder who wants to comply with the law but isn't getting the information they need either from uh, the local community uh, process that they have to go through to build needs a resource to go to and we want to be that resource as well. We don't want to just be the, the hammer that comes in afterwards. We want to be that community resource to get it right from the start. Well, I know uh, here in West Virginia we have a national organization, it's called the Job Accommodation Network, who exist in some large part to provide employers with information mm -hmm. about how to make accommodation so that they can have uh, challenged employees in their workplace. Do you work that way with regard to housing? Can you provide information to Most landlords definitely. and owners? We do periodically throughout every year. We do uh, fair housing education opportunities. We gear the curriculum toward architects or uh, builders, code enforcement. We encourage city planners um, as well as the individual who may need to learn more about their rights under fair housing law. Um, Claire and our team of trainers are going around the state on a regular basis providing those opportunities. Do you define disability in housing the same way disability is, design, uh, is defined under the Americans with Disability Act? Yes. The ADA says that a disability is something, a cognizable disability is a limitation that affects one or more major life activities. Right. That's what you're looking mm -hmm. at. Hence, we talk a lot about wheelchairs and, and right. things of that sort, mm -hmm. but there are other things. Another area that I'm kind of fascinated by is the refusal of some folks to rent or sell to people with children. Where does that come from? That's a, a huge problem, especially you know in communities um, with universities, and we're finding that in Morgantown. Um, the whole housing market here is in Morgantown is directed towards the student population. Um, that's where you know, the money is essentially, and and the rest of the population, you know, families with children um, and people who are employed at the university are having trouble finding homes, you know, rental properties, especially for families with, with their children. Um, and and the law protects anyone with a child in, in the household under the age of 18, or someone um, who is pregnant, expecting a child, or you know, anticipating adoption. Another area that I found surprising was people with hearing limitations are having problems with finding housing. Why is hearing an issue? I think they would, would I would think they would be quiet tenants. <laughs> <laughs> but landlords don't react to them positively. What, well, do you address that? Yeah. I think in some landlords' perceptions, it's just another thing to deal with. They don't want to take the extra time. Um, if someone who has hearing loss or is deaf um, you know, makes a telephone call. They use what's called the relay system, and the relay system is where some, you know, if I were the person making the call who's deaf or has hearing loss, I would be typing or signing to an operator, and the operator makes the phone call. So there is a delay, you know, of the operator relaying what I'm saying to who I'm calling and, and relaying what they're saying back to me. Um, it's it's minimal, but landlords when they get those calls either don't know what it is, and that's the education component that we're working on. Or, you know, they say, well, why can't this person email me or text me? Wouldn't that be easier? But it's, they should give that person the same opportunity to make a phone call to inquire about housing as anybody else. Um, so there's that component initially, just trying to get in the door to ask about the housing. Um, and then, you know, 
people with hearing loss might need an accommodation. They might need a hearing dog, so that, you know, a dog that can let them know when there's someone at the door of their apartment. Um, maybe a flashing fire alarm so that they can see the fire alarm going off because they can't hear it. Um, and accommodations are something that landlords can be very resistant to, either because they don't understand their, their obligation under the law or it's just another hassle that they don't want to deal with. We're talking about fair housing. My guests are Claire Chandler, the program manager for West Virginia's, West Virginia's Only Fair Housing Initiatives Program, and Jan Derry, the executive director of the Northern West Virginia Center for Independent Living. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. We've got a relatively few minutes left in the program. Can we talk a little bit about the procedure of the complaint process? What, the person who has the complaint, what should they expect? How long does this take? Okay. Um, once you file a complaint uh, with the Human Rights Commission, they have a 100-day window to respond to the complaint. Um, and that's supposed to be their investigation, but often you'll find, um, you know, that they're, they're swamped like every other agency is, um, and HUD is, is backed up, that you'll receive another letter before the end of that 100-day window saying that, you know, there's going to be an extension. It's not going to take that long, uh, or it's going to take longer. Um, but you will receive a, you know, a, a response immediately saying that they've received your complaint and they're investigating. Um, that process, you know, like I said, takes 100 days or more. Um, you will be expected to provide some documentation, what, you know, be interviewed, um, provide that information to the Human Rights Commission. And, and then you'll be notified, um, as well as the person you made the complaint against, you know, if they've decided that there's reasonable cause to believe that there was discrimination. You have done some testing to see how widespread discrimination in housing is. Mm -hmm. What were your results? We had, um, like you, we were talking about people with uh, hearing loss or people who are deaf using the relay call system, um, huge amounts of discrimination, um, just trying to make the initial phone call. Um, I mean, rates of 35% of our calls. Um, the caller was hung up on or told, don't call, or why don't you email instead of call me, um, and denials for reasonable accommodations. So that just gives you a, a small picture of what people with disabilities are facing in, in the rental community. Um, the other largest um, group that was discriminated against was families with children, and that was 60 percent. 60 percent? 60 percent. Um, and that, that testing was focused on Morgantown, and it was everything from, sorry, we only take students, uh, we don't take kids, or we don't take kids in that unit, why don't you rent to a, you know, one of our properties outside of town, um, steering families away from opportunities where they might find transportation or jobs or schools for their children, um, to, um, you know, sometimes it's not, it's not meant to be you know, harmful, it's, it's the landlord thinks, well, you know, this unit doesn't have any railings on the balcony, so you don't want your kids here. But, but really, that decision is up to the parents of the children, whether they, it, they should have the opportunity to view that unit and make that decision about their children's safety themselves. Um, it's not for the landlord to steer them to one unit or another. So you have the right to accept some problems. Right. If that's where you need to be. And, and sometimes that, that is what happens. We talk about students. We've talked about Morgantown. Morgantown's not unique in these problems. It's right. just simply where the two of you are headquartered. So you see Most a lot. Most university towns have this problem. Wherever there's a, a college campus that is driving the housing market in that community, 
this problem exists because that's where the money is. That's where the market is. Is for the student population, the local resident often has a tendency to feel like a second-class citizen in 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 a community where the university dominates that community. Well, the the university students need to be close to the campus, or right. at least they Definitely. sometimes need to be close to the campus. But the people who serve those students and that mm -hmm. campus need to be close to the campus also. Before we end this program, I want to go over how to contact you once again. The number to call if you think you have suffered some sort of housing discrimination is one eight four four two one two three four six four. 1-844-212-3464, that's a toll-free number, or you can log on to the uh, website, W-V-F-A-I-R-H-O-U-S-I-N-G, wvfairhousing.org. And if you're a landlord and if you're uncomfortable with somebody who has approached you and you don't know what to do with them, call these folks. Mm -hmm. They'll try to help you. Claire, Jan, thank you very much for coming in with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you also for being with us on behalf of the Law Works. I'm Dan Ringer. Good evening. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future The Law Works show, or if you're a school teacher and would like to receive a DVD of this show for classroom use, send us an email to thelawworks at comcast.net or visit us on Facebook. On the Law Works website at thelawworks.org, you'll find a listing of recent The Law Works programs, additional information about this show's topic, and video of this and recent shows. You can also find The Law Works programs on YouTube and iTunes. The Law Works is produced in cooperation with the Office of the West Virginia Attorney General, the West Virginia Bar Foundation, the Mountain State Bar, the Monongahela County Bar Association, and the West Virginia University College of Law. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Additional support for the Law Works is provided by the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 